0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our two-year-old daughter, Sarah Grace, is having a hard time with transitions lately. Bedtime, bath time, really anything leaving one fun thing to do anything else. It's pretty standard toddler behavior, but it also sounds a lot like adult behavior to me. What we've learned this past week is that when she's feeling upset and in need of a little comfort, what she needs is some twinkle lights, which is what she calls Christmas lights. So with tears still on her cheeks, we hop in the car and we drive around the neighborhood, taking in a view of all the twinkle lights from her passenger window. We'll drive by a neighbor's house all lit up with lights, and then she'll shout out, "'Wanna do again?' So we put it in reverse or promise to circle back around and give her that little dose of comfort she needs one more time. I love Christmas. I'm not a member of what some people might call the Advent task force, going around knocking on neighbors' doors and piously reminding them that Christmas is still weeks away, technically. In fact, if we could have twinkle lights up year-round, it would bring me and Sarah Grace a lot of comfort and joy and a lot less tears, I think. I love Christmas, but I also love Advent. I really do. And not as something that's in tension with Christmas or in opposition to it, but as a gift that we're given in the midst of all this busyness and planning and decorations that we string up that are often just well-meaning attempts to cover up the cloudiness of our lives with some twinkle lights. Advent gives us the gift of sitting and hearing and considering the realities of life, and the readings and hymns that we're blessed with during Advent, like our reading from Isaiah today that Ashley just read. They don't shy away from the truths of life in exile or in quarantine about broken homes and dreams and the longing for comfort and hope in the midst of it all. In her book about Advent that came out a couple years ago, that's really a collection of a lot of different essays and sermons, Fleming Rutledge reflects on her own childhood experience of the season, which too often felt like a whole month of the church reminding kids that it wasn't time for them to open up their presence yet, that Jesus's birthday hadn't happened yet. Instead, Fleming Rutledge writes, in Advent, we don't pretend, as I once thought, that we are in the darkness before the birth of Christ. Rather, we take a good hard look at the darkness we're in now facing and defining it honestly so that we will understand with utmost clarity that our great and only hope is in Jesus's final victorious coming. Advent allows us to sit, to be still and experience a truly rare thing, which is an honest voice about who we are and what life is like. We hear the truth that life is hard. Even in the midst of genuine joy and celebrations, the truth is that life is really, really hard. Advent allows us to sit, to be still, and also hear that God is real, really, really real. Today's reading from Isaiah 40 is a pretty epic and timely passage about God's people longing to return from exile. For the past 39 chapters of Isaiah, the author has been laying down the law on the people of Israel, condemning them for their wrongs and how they haven't lived up to God's or their own expectations. They've been put on trial and they've been found guilty, and they've now found themselves in exile. Everything leading up to what we hear today has been law and it shed a painful light on the truth of their lives and placed them in the state of desperately needing some comfort and some gospel. Advent is itself a little reminder of this state of being in need. When we give ourselves, or life forces us to slow down, to stop escaping from the truth and actually look at the fact that life is hard, we enter into a truer state of being, but it's a state of being that's defined by need and specifically the need of comfort. The opposite of Advent, on the other hand, is to escape to the past with nostalgia, which so many of us so often do, to some vision of a better time with less problems and a sweeter simplicity. The only problem with that, of course, is that such a time never existed. Just take any history class, or better yet, look at your Bible. And what you'll see is people perpetually in a state of conflict and perpetually trying to convince themselves that they can succeed or argue or win their way out of it. And this anti Advent dishonesty about ourselves can also take the form of escaping in our minds into the future by building up some future, better, better version. Of ourselves that even we would be so lucky to meet. And this is essentially some sort of investment in our own ego. In his new book, Pappy Land, that's a beautiful new book about Pappy Van Winkle bourbon and family. It's a book that I think every father in the world is likely to receive as a Christmas gift this year. Writer Wright Thompson reflects on how and why our minds wander so often into the future. He says, I'm a middle-aged man with elevated liver enzymes and high cholesterol, so I've had to consider dying as a real thing. And I find my immediate reaction is this strange desire to leave behind monuments to myself, whether they come in the form of a book about bourbon or in letters to friends and family. The monuments we erect, shouting into the wind that we were once alive and had hopes and dreams, often end up becoming a shrine to the fallacy and futility of that desire itself. Thompson is right, I think. Our ego's projection into the future won't save us either. But what Advent does, by bringing awareness of our honest need in the present moment, is it primes us for what we truly need. We need comfort that lasts longer than twinkle lights. Comfort that's not a false narrative of the past or a bad investment in our future selves. We need some real comfort. In Isaiah 40, that's what the people of God, in fact, receive. They have been found guilty. They've been placed in some sort of quarantine, and it feels like they've been left to themselves to search anxiously for their own sources of comfort. But these comfort seekers aren't alone. In verse 9, the people of Israel are told, Here is your God. Which, if you ask me, I don't think it would typically be a word of comfort to a group of people we were just found guilty by this God. It brings to image, or brings to mind the image of a sort of exhausted, frustrated mom saying, "Just wait until your father comes home." Hearing, "This is your God" is not the most comforting thing. But this is no ordinary father. Isaiah says, "The God that is truly here with you in the midst of your truly difficult life is the Lord God who comes with might." but this is what his might looks like. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the Lord God who meets us where we are with comfort and with grace. Advent is of course, about waiting, but it's not about waiting for Jesus to come. Instead, we're waiting for Jesus to come again, and that's a really important distinction. Yes, we're waiting for Jesus' final victorious coming again, when every tear will be wiped away and the darkness will be lifted once and for all, but make no mistake, Jesus has already come. He's already walked among us, and he's already died for us. And that means that we aren't waiting for the grace of God, but instead we're waiting with the grace of God. Comfort we long for has already arrived. This brings me to my last point. What do we mean when we say comfort? We say that Jesus comforts us often, but how does he do this? We live in a world so desperate for comfort that we try to manifest it in so many different ways. There are the traditional forms of comfort that come in the forms of food and alcohol and TV, as well as the less traditional forms of comfort like professional cuddlers, maybe you've heard of them. I will resist the temptation to comment on that. But all of these forms of comfort are, in fact, fleeting. And many of them simply increase our anxieties or create a whole new set of problems to worry about. So how is it that God comforts us? Well, the answer is rather simple. It's an answer that's at the very heart of the gospel itself. It's actually the one true job of the church to proclaim and remind us of this week after week, advent after advent. It's the one thing that we all long for deep down, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's that God comforts us with his grace. God comforts us by looking at us in our world honestly and without hesitation saying to us, your sins are forgiven. You are mine yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So this Advent season, I encourage you to go ahead and hang up your twinkle lights. But while you're at it, take a long, deep breath. Close your eyes and hear, and deep down, just know that your true comfort is this, that you are forgiven, that you are loved, and that Jesus will take care of you. Amen.